Well, good morning. I hope you guys will bear with me. I have to admit to you that I'm finding it very difficult to leave this whole section of Scripture from Romans 6, 1 through 8, 13. The reason is, I believe that it has been a wake-up call to a number of us to the fact that we maybe have not had such a biblically correct understanding of the Christian in sin. And as I have studied this myself, I'm concerned that that's a problem. And, And I'll tell you this, I'm concerned that even a lot of folks that we might suppose have a whole lot of truth maybe don't exactly have the biblical balanced perspective on the Christian in sin. And I I guess that all kind of keeps me here because I know this. I know 8.13 is the last verse that really deals with this heavy subject from 6.1 all the way. You know, it goes on and it goes on and it keeps going on and Paul is dealing with something that is of the utmost importance to have dealt with. And I know this. I know the day I say to you guys, Romans 8.14, everything changes. You know, obviously 8.14 isn't the start of a new uh, chapter. Maybe it ought to be. You know, these chapter divisions are man-made at best. This... You know, the divisions aren't necessarily where Paul intended there to be divisions in thoughts. So, you know, we, we don't want to be locked into that mentality. But I know this. I know 8.13 is the last one that connects us with the Christian and sin very specifically. And how it, what's required, what is, what is descriptive of true Christianity. See... I truly believe that God has owned this study by the feedback that I've seen. Not in my own life, in in the feedback that I've gotten from you. I believe that a number of us have been liberated from thinking that Christianity is defeated and frustrated and unsuccessful. And I believe many today in a reformed community have that mindset. And I believe that many of us did. And I think some of you would admit right now your thinking in that has been very changed over these last, you know, whenever we started this, this section of Romans, probably back in spring sometime. But guys, I think we, we have seen very, very, very clearly that Christ saves men and women in order to give them great amounts of victory and triumph over sin right here, right now. In this life, these two and a half chapters have given us a real living hope, a real living expectation that practicing righteousness, practicing obedience, faithfully fulfilling God's law. They're not impossible in this life. They're not. And not only are they not impossible, they are actually mandatory if I 
life. Boy, that is so clear in what Paul's been teaching through this. The only legitimate evidence anyone can give and must give if they are truly Christian and truly have eternal life is the evidence of righteousness. Here we are at the end of a whole section of thought where Paul has been really been answering one major question. Do Christians continue in sin? I mean, that's where we started way back in Romans 6.1. What do we say then? Do we continue in this sin that grace may abound? The, the reality is, folks, he's been dealing with that concept and one last time, he assures us that the answer to that question is a resounding no. So let's read Romans 8.13 and let's make certain we see this. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now here's, here's the question. Can Christians continue in sin? Now listen, you guys all know this. John 3.16 says Christians are those who have believed in Christ, right? And in doing so, they're promised what? Eternal life. The ones in this verse who have life are clearly the ones who are Christians. Do you know why? Because it's Christians who have life. So every Christian will definitely not continue in sin. You know why? Because every person who has life definitely puts to death sinful deeds of the body. I, I, I mean, that falls out. Now, listen, guys. This verse is more of a reality check for us than it is a commandment. Do you see that? There is no commandment in Romans 8.13. Paul is not commanding us to put sinful deeds of the body to death. He's not commanding anything at all. He is simply stating a fact. But now here we go. Let me emphasize something to you about the fact that he is stating. Paul could have said, If by the Spirit you stop, doing the deeds of the body, you will live. Or he could have said, if by the Spirit you no longer do the deeds of the body, you will live. Or he could have said, if by the Spirit you turn from the deeds of the body, you will live. But he doesn't say any of those. Why? Paul, why say put to death? Why say if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live? Well, I want you guys to think with me about this. Think about the imagery behind these three words. Now look, if you guys come over to my house and we get stray dogs around from time to time, if a stray dog is in my front yard, you're at my house and that stray dog is in the front yard and it's barking. And I say to you, Kenny, stop that dog from barking. Now, you know what? That might conjure up a certain image in your head. But if I say, Kenny, put to death that dog, that probably 
begins to drive home a different image altogether. You know what it does? Put to death, stretches the reality. I want a thorough and final and even violent end of that barking. If I just say stop that dog from barking, you might go out there and you might chase that dog off and it might run away, but it may come back to bark again another day. But if I say put it to death, you know what? The reality there is that I'm looking for something a whole lot more drastic, a whole, whole lot more violent, a whole lot more thorough finality here. Folks, I don't want that thing to move again, breathe again. I want its destruction. I want there to be violence. That's what goes behind putting to death. I mean, you guys think about that term, terminology. When we use it, we're meaning something graphic. We are meaning something that, that is... is I mean, I want to strangle that thing of everything that gives it life. I want life just virtually sucked right out of whatever that is. I don't want to provide anything for its survival. I don't want to feed it. I don't want to give it air to breathe. I don't want it to have any source whatsoever of any strength, of any vitality. I want to hurt it. I want to destroy its every ability to function or move or act or influence. But you know what? We aren't talking dogs here in 813. We're talking deeds. Do you see that? I mean, look look right there. Do you see? We are to put to death. Actually, put to death certain things that we do. That's what we must strangle the life out of. Now, now, here's the thing. So even though Paul doesn't directly command us here to crush the life out of sinful deeds, we definitely get the picture that if we would live, if you would live, then you had better get violent with these deeds. Paul is painting a picture of the most radical kind of assault on our sinful deeds. Now, as the text says, and we've already dealt with this previous weeks, you must do it by the Spirit. And we looked at and paid attention to the fact that it's by faith in Jesus Christ we become grafted into the very life and power of the Spirit. Now, two weeks ago, I emphasized to you, look, as a Christian, looking to Christ in faith, you are grafted into this power source. Use it. And one thing I said was, stop sinning. Because you have access to the power of the Spirit who enables you to stop sinning. So quit it. But then the other thing I said is, you know, like, like what Paul's saying to the thief, well, yeah, don't, don't steal anymore. He also says to him, now work with your hands. And, and, you know, be able to have resources to give to those who are in need. So the reality is, I emphasize to you, you stop sinning, but you just don't leave this spiritual vacuum there. You begin to fill it with works of compassion and love. That's what I say to you guys. If, you, if you're looking for ways to, to work through this, how do I? It's not just how do I stop? How do I stop? How do I stop? It's start filling your life full 
of new strategies of compassion. I mean, start thinking about, like Owen was yesterday, how can we turn this city upside down? I mean, how can I do new things like Sutton Homes and where, what Christmas is at hand? How can I reach out to the lost and to the needy and to those that are basically the off-scouring of society and those who are lonely and those who are out there and needy? How can I do that? Because as you are filling your mind with that, it doesn't become just this constant, oh, wretched me, wretched me, oh, I'm so miserable and I'm pathetic and I have all this sin. I mean, you know what one of the problems with that mindset is? You're looking at yourself way too much. Get your eyes out of there and get looking for where the need is. The other things I emphasize to you, and I'm going to draw kind of from these things today, but from a whole other direction. So, but, but the other two things I mentioned two weeks ago had to do with the fact that your mind, which is very apparent from the description back up in eight, five, the mind of those who are in the spirit and putting to death the deeds of the flesh is a mind that is set on the things of the spirit. And, and I told you guys, we, got, we have to have our minds filled with the word of God if we're going to carry through with this. The other thing, the fourth thing I said to you was give consideration to the passions. Listen, Paul told, tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts or passions. Run from those things. And the reality is, one of the ways we run, and we see Peter spells this out for us, is as Christians, we no longer live for passions. We don't live for gratifying bodily lust. Now we live for the will of God. There's an exchange there. Now, those are, those are things that I laid down. Um, I want to consider this subject from a little bit different direction this morning. Consider this, guys. Sinful deeds. You know what they are because you've done them. When you were lost, you did a whole lot of them. That's all you did. And some of you in here are lost, and that's what your lives are. Some of you in here are saved. And you know what? The reality is if you're saved, you're on your way to eternal life, and all those that are on their way to eternal life are putting to death the deeds of the body. So, if you're saved in here, you know about those things from the past, but you also know that as much as you're trying to fill your life with the good things, and as much as it is a reality that you are, are and have put those things to death, you know that there are still others that you need to put to death. You know the reality of them. Brother Charles was talking about things we say with, we, with our mouths. We know, the true Christians in this room know that since the day we've been saved, we've still used our mouth to say things that we should not have said. We know that's a reality. So we have to put those kind of things to death. Well, here's the thing. This is what I want to, think, uh, to really narrow our focus in. The reality is this. I've mentioned this before, but we're going to really pinpoint this today. Sinful deeds come from somewhere something feeds them and if you will get this down and you'll nail this concept i think it will help you a bunch i really do so here's what i want to do i want to first give you a principle concerning how you kill what feeds sinful deeds the second thing I want to do is give you the identity of what to kill, what it is that's feeding these sinful deeds. And then 
Lastly, I want to give you a description of the instrument with which to kill that which feeds sinful deeds. So, how to kill, what to kill, what do I use to kill? Now, here's the first thing. Here's the principle. Now, you you guys, if you will take this principle and apply it to anything in your life, you'll do well. Anything that you want to accomplish, this works well. But it's a spiritual principle that works very well to this as well. And not only that, the scripture shows us it's a principle that works for this. So, hear me out here. I'm sure most of you guys, and ladies too, are familiar with fights. And you know what I mean. Playground fights. Fights in the hallways when you were in school, middle school, high school, whatever. Fights at parties. Fights at bars. Fights on the football field. Fights on the hockey rink. I mean, come on, you guys. You've got some images in your mind, right? Most of you know what I'm talking about. Some of us used to be the ones that were in the fights. Some of you ladies used to be the ones that were in the fights. Right, Tricia? (laughs) But you guys, we can imagine this. You know, different people, different styles of fighting. You guys saw this. I mean, sometimes, sometimes when a fight would break out, you know, the two guys would go to wrestling almost immediately. Sometimes they'd be more like, you know, boxers and put up their fists. Sometimes, you know, some of these guys try their martial arts stuff or they try kicking or roundhouse or whatever. I mean, you guys, you guys know this. Some guys, you know, they'd come out with clubs or they'd carry something in their hands. And uh, you know what that was like. Some guys, they just went crazy, right? I mean, just... Nuts. And I can remember this when I was in school. There was one guy. I mean, when he would get into a fight, it was just, he would throw in every direction. It was just throwing punches every which where, kind of spastic, uncoordinated, just flurry of chaos. I mean, the guy literally swinging here and there and not hitting a thing. He wasn't coordinated. He was just wild. Now, let me tell you something. Most of you know this, but if you don't, the only thing that really matters in a fight is making contact. So, it's only connecting with a blow that is ever going to injure or harm the opponent. You might look pretty scary, but unless you land punches, all your flurry and all your activity are in vain. Now, imagine two guys fighting and one guy... You know, he's like this, just going nuts, expending all sorts of energy, wildly throwing punches everywhere, kicking, jumping, screaming, shouting, but missing. And you've got another guy that's just standing there nice and cool and calm and collected, and he's looking and aiming carefully, and bang, he reaches in and, you know, keeps popping the guy in the face. Now, let me ask you, which of the fighters is going to be the most effective? Listen to me. When the Apostle Paul fought the Christian sin battle, he specifically says this, 1 Corinthians 9.26. And if you want to open your Bibles there, you can. 1 Corinthians 9.26. If you're already in Romans, all you've got to do is turn back one book and you're there. 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I do not box. That's ESV. It's fight in the King James, the New King James, the NIV. Paul says this, I do not fight as one beating the air. Now listen to me. 
Paul is not saying I do not fight at all. He is saying I do not fight in such a way that I'm just swinging and catching air. 1 Corinthians 9.27 shows us how he does fight. But I discipline. Now, I, you know, I just don't think discipline is the best word there because it doesn't fit well with the fighting aspect that he was just talking about. And in fact, it is not the common word for discipline. It's an interesting word that has to do with the part of the face right under the eye. That's very interesting. This is a word that has to do with punching this part of the face. Literally beating this part of the face black and blue. Now, you know what? Do you, do you see what Paul's saying here? When Paul punched, he didn't miss his mark. He didn't just catch air. He didn't exert himself and spend his strength for nothing. Every blow that he struck, he landed. He didn't waste his energies on that which would produce no result. He wasn't just aimlessly, wildly throwing punches this way and that. All his efforts were directed. They were directed with very careful aim, certainty, wisdom, what was he taking aim at? He was taking aim at himself. At his body. He meant to conquer and kill his great enemy sin, the corrupt desires that are in the flesh. He meant to bring everything in captivity to God. And you know what? We need to learn from this. Because I'm afraid, folks. I'm afraid as Christians, one of the problems we have with this whole sin battle is we're not focused. We, we may spend some energies, but they're not well spent. We beat air. And in the end, we don't really accomplish what we need to... You know, it may be that when a Christian comes to me and says, well, I've tried to get victory in this area or that area, and I haven't had much success, the real problem may not be that they haven't tried at all. They may have. It's that most of their efforts have been little more than beating the air. Their energy is expended, but it's expended with very little advantage. There's a lack of wisdom or a lack of skill or a lack of perseverance or there's a mistake in regard to what must be done. Christians often, this is a problem, Christians often can try to live their lives with very little aim or purpose there's no plan. Efforts are wasted, scattered, inefficient. Now listen to me. This, there's a reality here. Colossians chapter 2 says, there is a way that some people try to approach a, a veneer of godliness. And you know what it is? It's setting up rules. Don't touch. Don't taste. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'll tell you this. This is a problem in a lot of educated circles. It's a problem in a lot of reform circles. What they do, they don't build on what the Word says. They build up lists of do's and don'ts that come really from, from man's own making. They like to set up lists. 
They like to, they like to try to, to instill morality into themselves by a list of things. And you know what, you know what it says there? That type of asceticism, we're told in Colossians 2, it does not work to killing the flesh. It really doesn't. You set up all your rules in this world and it's not going to do it. Now listen, I'm not saying commandments in here that you need to obey. What I'm saying is when we start coming up with our own lists and our own little rules and our own little things, and this is the way it needs to be. And we can remember lists made on what you do on Sunday or you don't do. Listen, folks, that doesn't do it. I mean, bottom line, you know, if I start looking at this church and I start thinking, well, you know, just are not getting here on time. What we need to do, I need to create this list of rules, what you guys can do and can't do on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. But you know what? That's not the way. That's not going to go after the flesh. And a lot, you know, I can remember as a young Christian, you know what? One, I can remember that one time just saying, okay, Lord, I'm never drinking coffee again unless such and such happens. And, but, you know, I look back now and I realize, well, some of the things I did in my haste maybe were not the things that were most effective and productive. And see, we can waste efforts there and really not get to the root of where the sin comes from. Look, if you're going to stand face to face with a great enemy, and here's the rules of the game. You get to strike them, then they get to strike you, then you get to strike them, and back and forth you go until one of you is dead. Now, I guarantee you this, if you have any sense in you at all, when it's your turn to throw the first strike, you're not going to kick the guy in the shin, right? I mean, this thing is unto death. And after you hit him the first time, he's going to hit you. If you have any sense in you at all, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take a steel pipe and you're going to size that guy up and you're going to say, okay... If I break this guy's spinal cord, he's not throwing another punch at me. If I hit him in the throat and I knock out his ability to breathe, he's likely not going to get any... You see, I'm going to look at what's going to feed this guy's response. What's going to give this guy any ability of energy or anything? What feeds this guy? What does this guy draw his power from? And I'm going to try to take that power source out, folks. I'll tell you what. In World War II, when the Allies were looking to throw a mortal blow at the Nazi war machine, you know what they blew up? They blew up ball bearing factories, fuel refineries, steel processing plants. You know why? Because those things fed. And what you guys need to look at is what is it that feeds my enemy? You've got these deeds of the body. What is feeding them? Because if you will break off the lifeline. If you will sever that bloodline or you will get your fingers around its air pipe and don't let it breathe, that's how you're going to knock this thing out. And that's a principle, folks. You can use this principle in anything in life. If you've got something well worth doing, you know, you want to do it in a way that it's going to be effective. You don't want to just hit the air. You want to make this thing happen. You want to make this thing work. So that's the principle. Hit your enemy where he's going to be most debilitated, weakened, and crippled. I mean, doesn't that just make sense? So we don't want to spin our wheels. We don't want to waste our time. We don't want to hit at the ear. Okay, now, second, let's look at the identity of what to kill. Now, you might look at this thing and you say, well, it says put to death the deeds of the body. I mean, isn't that what I'm supposed to kill? Well, yes. And there's no question about that. We talk about that. Just stop. 
start. And, and, but there's also the reality here that if something feeds it, you know, it's like I told you guys before. It's like if I have a weed in my front yard and I go over the, I can go attack that weed and I can run it over with the mower. But if the root's still there, that thing's coming back. And so I don't want to just, I do want to get rid of the weed. I do want to get rid of that thing in my yard, but I want to go to the root of the matter. I want to get the thing that's feeding it. Because if I can take that out, the thing's not coming back. So, what is it? Okay. We've been here a number of times, but, and we're familiar with it. But I want you guys to go back here again. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Because I want, to see, I want you to see this. I want you to grasp this. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Now, I told you that 13 isn't a commandment. It's a statement. But you know, there was a commandment given in 6.12 and 6.13 that really do give us the commandment for this. Now, listen to this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey there. The there is the bodies, passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So think with me about this. The deeds of the body that you need to put to death are the very same deeds you do with your body when you present its members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, right? You see that basically what's said right there in the first part of 6.13 is exactly what we're to kill in 8.13. I mean, you see that. Bodily members, is, it's, it's the body, folks. The deeds. There's an offering up of the, bo the body's members to sin as unrighteousness. That is unrighteous deeds, folks. That's what we need to be putting to death. Well, do you see in 12 what fuels this thing? These deeds are fueled by something. They're fueled by the fire of sinful passions, desires, cravings. Do you see that in 12? Sin seeks to reign by making you obey the sinful desires of the body. Now, can you see the two enemies here? Those two enemies that feed these deeds, folks, are sin and passions. Now, I want to explain this a little bit. Paul is not using the word sin here in reference to specific sins. He's using it to describe sin as a power. We talked about this way back. As a dark force. The passions or appetites or desires that sin tries to use are bad passions. In Romans 7.5, Paul calls them sinful passions. In Galatians 5.24, Paul says they're passions that belong to the flesh. So let, guys, let me give you my take on this. Seems to me that if I can deliver a mortal blow to either sin as a power, or fleshly passions, or better yet, even to both of them, that's how I successfully put to death deeds of the body. Now listen, 
If unrighteous deeds of my body are the result of sin seeking to reign by making me obey fleshly passions, then doesn't it make sense to deliver the death blows right there? If I kill the dark force of sin, I've got nothing trying to make me obey sinful passions that bring out these evil deeds. And if I get rid of the fleshly passions, sin has nothing to use to get me to obey, to make me. You see, if I can knock either, or better yet, both of these fellas out of the picture, then the fuel of unrighteous deeds is gone. So if I can lay that attack right there, I mean, does all that make sense? So when I take aim with my punches or with my steel bar, I want to be precise about how I direct them. I want those punches to fall directly in the face of sin, in the face of fleshly passions. I want to deliver death blows right there. You know what? Jesus Christ saved me to give me the power to take both these guys out. Really. So I don't want to throw a punch with all my power behind it and only catch air. I want to catch flesh, folks. I want to punch face. I want to damage. So here's where we are so far. When I fight in a mortal battle, I want to connect. That's the principle for how to kill. You want to make it efficient. You want to hit and strike well. We know that the enemy, sin is a force. Fleshly appetites, passions. Now, here's my last thing. The description of the instrument with which to kill sin and fleshly passions. Let's think about sin. You know, it helps you to know the nature of your enemy, to know how to defeat that enemy. We don't want to waste our time and energy swinging wildly at the air. And I want to do damage to sin. Let's think about this. How do I take specific aim at sin? And where can I hit it? How can I get my fingers around its throat to remove its ability to, to draw air, to draw nourishment? What should my mode of attack look like? I'll tell you this. God told Cain this way back, way back in Genesis. He said, Cain... Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. You know what? Sin's desire is for you. You know how I know that? Romans 6.12 says it is. It desires to reign in you, folks. No different. It desires to reign in you just like it desired to reign in him. And you know what God told Cain? You must rule over it. And that's the point. You got sin here, it's trying to reign in you, you need to reign over it. Okay, well that's, that's nice and everything. How do I do that? How do I make that really happen? How can I get sin to show itself so that I can reign over How can I lay hold on that thing and bring it into submission? Where is it so that I can actually lay my fingers on it? I mean, it's a dark force, yes, but it's not, a, it's not a living person that I can see right there and I can actually lay a blow on. How, do, how does this thing work? Look, I went through this week in my study, I went through every use of sin in the New Testament. Because I'm just look, trying to look and examine the character of this enemy. And I think one 
of probably the most instructive and helpful and insightful passages comes from Hebrews 3.13. Now, you don't have to look there. You can if you want, but I'm just going to read it to you. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by, and here it is, the deceitfulness of sin. I'm sure we could mention a whole gamut of realities about sin. We could. There are many characteristics of it. But one of the crowning realities concerning sin is that it is deceitful. Now, guys, you know what makes this so especially interesting? Is this. In Ephesians 4.22... Listen to this. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Do you realize this? Both the enemies that I just identified for us in Romans 6, 12, sin is a force and the fleshly passions are both described in Scripture as being deceitful. Both my enemies that feed the deeds of the body are deceitful. You know what? That's a key to unlock a big box, folks. A big one. You know what? When you have two great enemies that feed sinful deeds and they are both deceitful. You know what that means? They lie to us. They lie. Let me ask you this. What is the mortal blow to anything that's deceitful? Truth. It is truth. There is a reason, I believe, that the very first component of the armor of God in Ephesians 6 is the belt of truth. Sin's power. Now listen to me. If you will begin to grasp this, sin's Power is only in its ability to deceive you. Only. If you are unable to be deceived by sin, it's lost its power. It's gone, folks. It's gone. Its power is only there in that ability. The power of fleshly passions to draw out your obedience to them is only to the extent that you buy into their lies. This is the punch. It is the punch of truth. Now listen, this gets very practical. This is the steel bar, I'm telling you, that will knock the brains out of sin and out of fleshly passions. We must kill sin with truth. It is truth that sucks the life out of sinful deeds. It is truth that strangles the lifeline. It cuts off the blood flow of sinful deeds of the body. Now listen. I mean, bring this home. This is practical. Are you struggling with sin? Are there things in your life that you're having difficulty putting away? I'll guarantee you this. It's because you believe a lie. You know what? You tell me. I'm struggling with 
lust. I'm looking at ladies. I'm, I'm struggled with pride. I've struggled with jealousy. I've struggled with, you know, wasting my time. I'm too lazy or I'm materialistic. And boy, I see that new thing on the internet and or in the magazine. I, I have to have it. Or I just can't keep my mouth shut. I talk too much. I slander. I don't respect my husband the way I ought to. I'll tell you this, at the root of every one of those is you're believing a lie. Mark it down. These things do not come out of nowhere. You have bought a lie, lock, stock, and barrel. It's a reality. Your pride is a lie. And you know what? what you know what I really wrestled with in putting this message together is I almost felt like, well, I need to be so applicable and I need to figure out every person's... And I thought, you know what? Sometimes the reason that you may be proud and I may be proud may even come from us believing different lies. And I realized I just couldn't touch every, every gamut of this thing. But you know what I did realize? If you want to... Listen... I'm talking to Christians because if you're not a Christian, you don't really have any concern about this to start with. But if you're a Christian in this place and you've really been wondering, you've really been thinking, I do want to get some dominion over this thing in my life. I want to rule over sin. I want to have more triumph than I've had. Then I'll tell you this. You want to lay punches on this thing? I'll tell you, this punch of truth is very powerful. Because if you will get to the place where you will really sit down and examine what lie it is that you are believing. Because you know what? You know what I'm convinced about? When I'm confronted by coffee or chocolate or materialism or lust, or pride, I am convinced that 99% of the time we are doing things that never touch the lie at the bottom of this whole barrel. And that's why we're ineffective. Because, folks, if you will come to grips, well, look, the reason I don't discipline my children the way God says in the Word is because the lie I've bought into is this. I really don't think it matters. I really don't think if I ignore my children, it's going to matter because the reality is I believe God has His elect and the elect are going to be saved and it just really doesn't matter. But you see, that is a lie. But if you will come... You know, pride... Pride says to us, you have every right to look down on that guy over there. You know why? He's, he's inept. You are much better at doing that. And that guy has just squandered time. He's squandered his effort. You know what? You are far superior and you have every right to speak to that guy in a demeaning way right now. And we buy that lie and we just run right on. And we come away and we think, man, you know, I... The Lord convicts you. Well, you, you, were, you were proud. And we say, oh, okay, Lord, I repent. Somebody was saying something today about we, we need to repent of these sins. I'll tell you what. One of our great difficulties is we, we repent on the surface of the sin, but we don't repent of the lie because we don't even really grasp what that lie is. The reason we keep coming back over and over and over is because I bought into this lie. And I'm really not coming to grips with it. 
I'm not. You, you guys, you want to throttle this sin in your life. I'm telling you, you put your finger on the lie that's beneath it. If you will really come to grips with and, and lay it down, I mean, you spend some time before God and in your word and you'll come to grips with, you know, the reason I sin in this area is because I'm buying into this lie and I look at it, I realize it and I repent of that lie. I take it before God. I am not falling for that thing anymore. I'm not. Folks, I'll tell you this. Jesus Christ came into this world. You know why? For this purpose, I was born, he told Pilate. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Why did Jesus come? What is the purpose of Jesus Christ? Or more personally, you guys think about this. What difference should this man make in my life, in my deeds, in my desires, in my marriage, in my work, in my leisure, in my thinking, in my emotions? For truth. Christ was born. And for truth, He came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now listen to me. The truth. Not a truth. The truth. There is actually truth. There is truth that has come outside of this world into this world and there is truth that defines my actions, my deeds, my motives, my appetites. The world doesn't make this truth. I don't make it. I don't manipulate it. I don't change it. I don't define it. I don't shape it. I don't manufacture it. It is the truth. And it's not just a truth for me and another one for you. There is truth. And folks, when we come to grips with that reality. Jesus Christ came into this world to bring this truth and that there is truth. We don't live in a relativistic world like everybody would have us think. We are in a world of truth. And there is a truth, folks, about the reason you sin. And it's you believe a lie. And there is a truth you need to conquer that lie with. And if you will, I know, Christian, sin besets. It holds you back. You know, just like Brother Childs talked about today, what makes it so difficult for us to grasp that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll tell you this. Sometimes as Christians, we get this idea, well, sin doesn't really matter. I'm forgiven. I mean, in the end, I'm going to get to heaven anyways. I'll tell you what, every sin you commit besets you. It makes you less fruitful. It makes you less profitable in this world. It makes you less of a blessing to this church. It makes your marriage less, your person less. I mean, folks, it is destructive. And don't you think that as a Christian, you can handle fire and not get burned. You will. You will. And we need to come to grips with that. We need to let truth dictate. I'll guarantee you this. There isn't one of you in this place who struggles with sin that isn't struggling with it because there isn't a lie beneath it. What you're really struggling with is believing that lie. And I know you can think things in your head. You can know facts in your head. Folks, this isn't about knowing the five points of Calvinism and being able to define justification. This is getting to the heart of the matter about why that sin you are so partial to keeps coming back again and again and again and again. And the reality is there's a lie beneath it. And I'll guarantee you this, when you come to grips with what that is and repent of that lie and really be, you think about it. 
Why do I do that? And you really begin to sift through that thing and you come up with this filthy lie. And you can say, wow, you know, that, that is why I do that. Because I really do believe that thing. I know in my head different, but I believe that thing. And you really begin to expose that. I'm telling you folks, this will help you. It will. I, I, I really wish I could just be far more practical and deal with a lot of specific things right now, but we just don't simply have the time. But if you guys will, before God, I, look, I don't want you guys beating the air. I want you guys taking this out in your lives. And I really believe this. You will do your enemy the greatest damage if you will really come to grips. If God, through His inspired Word, says both of these enemies are deceitful, they lie to us. You know this is a fact, folks. You know you never commit a single unrighteous deed in your body that isn't compelled, propelled, and lifelined right into a lie. You kill that thing, and you are well on your way, folks, to life. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <clears throat>